morning, Coach Daly. Thank you for coming in today. Good morning, Coach Scott. Pleasure to be on and appreciate you inviting me. This is episode 120, and um, it's nothing against you that we've waited so long for your episode. It's just you've, <laughs> you've been busy with admissions, and I don't want to bother you, and you know, yeah, I think well, this is a good time for it. I think 120 is a great round number. It's exciting. It's uh, you've had an amazing thing going for how many how many years is it now that to get to 120 has this been three or four years? This has been what three two years? Two years. Yeah. So started during COVID. Yeah, I would describe that as prolific. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Good good work, and they're all really interesting. I can say that. Uh, being an admissions guy and walking around and checking out the uh, projection screens in uh, in Kerry Hall and seeing who's upcoming, it's always an exciting kind of talking point to be able to tell families who are interested that uh, look at look at this guy and this group that are interviewing all these interesting people, faculty, students, coaches, and hearing about books and hearing life stories. It's it's really cool, and to just be able to go on the YouTube and check it all out is a uh, it's an awesome resource, so thank you guys for doing it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, and I and I figure people who are coming to Gilman, whether they're being hired or they're coming here as a student, can actually get to know some of our people before they get here, which is nice. Oh, yeah, for sure. I remember um, watching a couple of the episodes. One with Del Dressel I, I found particularly funny and amusing as a, as a graduate dad of a current fifth grader, I believe, and... Uh, and a, and a great player and student. Um, but somewhere early on, he said in the in, in the episode, I remember him saying like, oh, so we're, we're just getting like right into this, Jake, huh? You're not gonna like warm me up a little bit? So thanks for, uh, you know, allowing me to settle in here as we get started. Yeah. Um, I'd love the Del Dressel kind of to follow his lead there. Right, well, I think we started, I think that that's back when I was just getting, you know, my feet wet with interviewing and I, came at him with a really tough question right off the start like what does Gilman mean to you and his head yeah. like exploded yeah and it was like all right let's rewind let's just do that's, a little small that's talk that's kind of like an interview question that's like an admissions question that I'll ask an eighth grader right <laughs> why why Gilman why do you want to come to Gilman yeah right and yeah. like it's those those big questions can be tough it's a lot to unpack you know so when you're interviewing uh you know, somebody who's prospective student here at Gilman, what are you looking for in those interviews? Like, what is the common thread amongst all of the people who end up coming here? Yeah. Like, what do they say in the interview that you really get a sense of their um, interest or their passion for Gilman? Yeah, I, I would start by saying everybody has different comfort level interview, right? Mm-hmm. Some some kids are going to be like really naturals and and they'll just kind of go on and tell stories about themselves and about others and, and show like a real kind of like zeal and zest for like life and learning and that th- those ones are easy, right? They make like being an interviewer easy when you have kids that just want to go on and on about their ex- various experiences, right? But but not everybody's cut from that cloth, right? So you can't just look for like the outgoing kids. But So you look for um, one kids that coming into it, like have some sense of what they want from school, right? What their values are, um, that they do know something about Gilman when they come here, that they're not just checking it off the list of schools that they're visiting, um, that they're genuine, right? They come across as like authentic with what they're sharing. It's not too kind of couched, right? Script, scripted. <laughs> too scripted, right? Yeah. And, and, and you need some script, right? Kids are going to need scripts for the, that kind of pr- 
performance because on some levels it is they're they're putting themselves out there but i think having a feeling like when you're talking to him that he that that he wants to give you something of himself that there's a combination of an interview it's tricky because you know you'll get kids that'll say things like well i don't i don't like talking about myself which is actually you know a positive because they're they have some of that humility where they don't want to boast and then you kind of you say to them, but that's what this is all about. Is I want to hear, we want to hear about you, right? And what what you would do at Gilman, for example. So, um, that's a really fun part of the job is talking to kids and, and hearing their stories. So, what's the st- what is the state of the admissions process right now? I know you have your busy seasons, right? Like, what what is happening right now in you know mid April of twenty twenty three? Yep, now is the. Uh, if it's like ultra busy tax season, it's like the not as busy admission season, right? Mm-hmm. The middle, the middle of uh, spring is when we we slow down a little bit. We have our classes made for the newly enrolled kids coming in. They've, we've had all the welcome events. We're in the process of like onboarding the kids, not getting them their schedules set, having them a sense of what they're going to do over the summer to get ready, doing some of the placement testing. So um, we're we're at a good point now where we get to look at as the seasons come to an end, like who's coming in, right? Mm-hmm. And be excited about the kids that are coming into each entry point. Um, so thanks for all those admissions questions. That's great. Um, <laughs> it, it's good to be able to talk through that. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, to talking about a little bit about this book that I brought here. Did you, did you get a sense? Have you ever read Sacred Hoops? No, but um, Kobe McClellan in my English class was reading this book, and I was interested in it when he had it out on his desk. But I haven't, I, I don't know much about Phil Jackson. Oh my gosh. It's a, uh, it's funny because when you talk about a hard question, I would say like when you say, what book are you going to bring with you? For me, it that's says, a tough question. It says a lot. Right. It's why I don't put what book I'm reading at the bottom of my title on emails, because it's a lot of pressure for me to go out there and <laughs> share what book that I really want to bring to something like this. So the reason I chose this one is one, like th- this book is like 25 to 30 years old. Which, which I thought is kind of interesting because as you look at uh, things coming off the shelves or out of circulation and, and, and trends and kind of like on the, on the front cover of this, it talks about like mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we spend a lot of time in our community today it being intentional about that, right, and wellness and health and all that kind of stuff. But this guy, Phil Jackson, who if, if viewers don't know him, he's, he was a legendary player for the Knicks, right? He, uh, he was roommates with Bill Bradley, right? U.S. Senator and great player. He went to Princeton and ran for president, right? So he's, he's like a, he's a big time guy who was a great athlete and then an even better coach. And he had, when this book was written, Phil Jackson had just finished uh, three titles with Michael Jordan as his top player, as many of you know, with the Bulls, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he wrote a book about it, his, his journey. Not not really. The book Sacred Hoops is not about those three titles as much as it is about like managing relationships and uh, personalities between the coaching staff and the players. And when I came back to it, when you asked me about it, I looked and I thought, geez, this was only like part one of Phil Jackson when he was with the Bulls. He hadn't even started his, his tenure with the Lakers where he would do the same exact thing with... Uh, Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, mm-hmm. right, um, in two of the biggest profile cities in America. And it's just kind of, it, it was really interesting as we think about like being a teacher and a coach, you're a coach, mm-hmm. right? Um, what is it that makes coaches really successful at like at every level, 
right? And and, and I think there's something to uh, Phil Jackson's message that's really fun to talk about mm-hmm. within the context of like teaching and learning and coaching at Gilman, which we both which we both do. I was actually talking to my roommate now, Sam Dinius. He lives on campus with me about like what makes successful coach and uh-huh. what came to mind is uh there has to be a little bit of fear in your coach you know you've it, you've got to master that balance of being fear and loved i think mm-hmm. little a little bit of a machiavellian statement there right? right the kind of the prince the model of uh is it better to be feared than loved mm-hmm. or you know one of those old teaching adages i hope they don't use it anymore but they did when i started as a fellow here was uh you know you don't don't smile until after Thanksgiving <laughs> as a class. teacher, as a teacher. Right. Right. Because you don't want to, you know, you can always loosen up and, but early on and, and I, I get, I kind of get that message on one level as a young teacher, but at the same time, it's, it's going to be tough to develop strong relationships if you're spending the first two and a half months of the year with a scowl on your face. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a, there's a yeah, balance there. There's a, it's such a personality thing being a good teacher and a coach. Like you've got to be very comfortable with who you are. Comfortable in your own skin, right? Yeah. And, and you said it like somebody like Phil Jackson, um, you think about it as a lacrosse coach, right? The name that often comes up, uh, Justin George, who is a Gilman graduate who played at Duke, mm-hmm. he's a great guy to ask about John Donowski yeah. as a coach at Duke. Um, when you're thinking of of guys who are comfortable in their own skin, I mean, in that sport, I, I would I would think it's pretty hard to find somebody more comfortable in their own skin than Donowski, who's been successful. Yeah, and um, I always, growing up, I always watched Donowski on the sideline and thought he was kind of like a rah-rah cheerleader kind of like he was always clapping at his players he's very po- known as being very positive yeah but i've also heard stories about him where he's like snapped and went off on guys and he's like crazy and a hothead so it seems like he also has that balance of like fear and yeah. positivity and love and encouragement yeah it's a, it's a delicate balance if you strike it well it's mm-hmm. it seems like he does right mm-hmm. and has for a long time so what is Phil Jackson, like in this book, what is he, um, he writes it, right? It's his. He writes it. Yeah. He, he's a practicing, a, I think at the time of this, he's Buddhist, right? And he has a lot, of, and he reads a lot of Taoist kind of um, scriptures. And so he's, he's very spiritual, right? And, uh, and also is, is big on the, you know, being in the moment, letting things go, kind of looking forward, um, very much what is happening now instead of what what the results are going to be. Um, he's he's certainly somebody who uh, is willing to give the spotlight to, for example, Michael Jordan, and and be able to sit back and say, and I think this is a testament to a great coach, is that he when they win, right? When the team wins, it's the team who's won and the players. And there's not a lot of, I did it. I mm-hmm. Phil Jackson won this game, right? He mm-hmm. he he seems like he has humility and is willing to be the the kind of the puppet master who who helps the players maximize their strength without needing to take a lot of the credit. Because one of the things that Phil Jackson got knocked for is, uh, or maybe not a knock, but they would say, oh, well, it's easy to win a national championship when you have Michael Jordan, the greatest player who's ever played the game. But before Phil Jackson got there, and I think it was Doug Collins, who is a, you know, a good player and uh, and coach, and his son Chris, I think, is at Northwestern now as a coach. But uh, 
he could never get Jordan quite to where he needed to be as a player to get beyond being the leading scorer in the NBA, but not getting the team where they needed to be. So Phil Jackson came in and did a good job of pulling strings as a getting Jordan to buy into if you make everybody around you better, you may have to give up your scoring title, mm-hmm. right? You have to do other things, but if you can buy into doing that, right, you're, we're, we're going to be better as a team. You give up that that me for we, as, as, you've, heard, as you've probably heard before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a really difficult, I mean, Michael Jordan, best player, best basketball player of all time, like getting him to become a team guy, right? That, that documentary that came out a couple of years ago about What's that called again? Last Dance. Last Dance. Right? Yeah, that was yeah. during COVID too. Yeah. Um, you know, it shows how that team, it was a real team. It wasn't just Jordan and his sidekicks. Yeah. It was, it was all five guys on the floor and on the bench and the coach. Yeah. Like buying into what they were doing. For sure. The Last Dance is phenomenal, right? And you big Peloton guy, Coach Shock? Um, I've never been on a Peloton in my ne- life. Never been on a Peloton. You know, now's the time to get a Peloton. The prices getting, are dropping. Yeah, people are getting rid of them. Right, and, and if you get on, one of the things that you should you should look up is the Last Dance ride. Hmm. It's amazing. It's uh, it, it's inspirational. It gets into they they kind of tell the story as they go through the songs of episode by episode of the Last Dance and. What what is interesting about that story is not like necessarily, in my opinion, like watching the highlights of all the games, but like hearing the relational dynamics between the players yeah. and kind of working through that. Mm-hmm. And geez, I don't know if there's a more tricky sport than basketball to develop good chemistry. And as a former coach, one one thing I think is a factor that you don't wear a helmet, right? You're under bright lights. There's only five of you. Like things move and happen really quickly, mm-hmm. right? And so you go on runs, you give up runs. It's an emotional, intimate sport, and very much a player's sport. Mm-hmm. Um, so to be able to like and Coach Bartz, for example, here at Gilman, like he's a master at like being in tune with his players and how they're feeling. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which is sometimes I think just as important as like what you're going to like run or execute. Maybe more important to know like wh- where is their head at this point like coming into this timeout, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I know that Coach Bart's like he's a thoughtful, compassionate, caring man, right? And as, as a result, his, his kids feel that. So I'm, I'm sure that like Coach Bart's has moments where he's feared, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know there's also like such value in the moments that his players know that they're like loved by him too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I was thinking, um, coach and JV lacrosse, we've been talking about toughness and ground balls and what makes a tough lacrosse player this week because we're trying to develop that in our guys. Um, but how about in basketball? Like what makes a tough basketball team? What makes a tough basketball player? Yeah. So I guess like, in ground balls, win games of lacrosse, like basketball, it's often like you got to win the, and you might hear there's a crossover sports where you have to win the 50-50 balls, like the loose balls, right, that could go either way, whether it's on a rebound or diving on the floor. Um, you know, you need to make the right 
you need to make the right pass. I mean, sim- simple stuff. Like if a guy's open in the triangle offense that the Bulls are running, you got to pass it to him and you got to trust it. If mm-hmm. he's the open guy, he's got to make the play, mm-hmm. right? Like in any sport, because um, that's going to build trust, right? And and sometimes making the right pass is also a tough play, mm-hmm. right? Because you're mentally tough to know that you have to do it. And, and you're mentally tough to, to trust in that player who maybe hasn't made a lot of shots. That they that they've got to be able to do it because ultimately you're going to need that person, and then also sometimes like I remember hearing this in college playing at one point, somebody a coach coach Metzbauer I think said to me he was like, if you have an open shot and you don't take it, it's actually selfish. Yeah. Right. It's like wait what? And so, I mean, what you're a shooter like? What do you what do you think about that? Do you believe that statement? I do. Yeah, because well, I would never pass up a shot. I mean, I love. I, that's the only thing on my mind as a player is <laughs> when's the ball coming to me and I'm going to shoot it. So I'd never had that like. So no, no coach ever had to say that to you. No, I was happy enough to pull the trigger. But I know what you're saying. It's like if you're if you're trying to be too selfless and not scoring when it's right in front of you then you're making the wrong play it's that wasn't your time to make a pass it was your time to shoot the ball and isn't that kind of we're talking about balance and coaching and balance and players that's like a delicate balance right of understanding that it's kind of a nuanced thing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um my but we played saint anthony's earlier this year right Mm -hmm. in lacrosse and i got a text from one of my friends who was a friar went to saint anthony's and he said, I've got inside scoop scouting report for your coaching staff. Friar rule number one, don't pass the ball. You could turn it over. <laughs> I was like, that's hysterical, Charlotte. Because he was a shooter, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he was a shooter, and, uh, and, and St. Anthony's can really shoot the ball. Um, so you got, you know, you got to have that sometimes having, like, guts and courage to take the shot. Mm-hmm. Again, like, that was the Jordan thing, right, that ad years ago where he talked about all the times he's failed in his life, mm-hmm. right, or mi- and missed the shot at, like, over 50%, right, because yep. he makes less than 50% of the shots he takes in his career. But it is, I mean, that can be tough, too, is being willing to put yourself out there and take the shot, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so. basketball, I mean, basketball is such a special game because uh, – I always find myself relating lacrosse to basketball because the movements are all the same. The offensive schemes are really very similar. Mm-hmm. I think it translates so well. Having played basketball, like if you don't play basketball, you just don't know some of those basic movements that you get when you're you're playing pickup, like a pick and roll or a give and go. It all translates so well to other sports. Yeah, soccer probably too. For and, sure. Well, and that's why. Uh... When, what is what are we really like playing sports for right we had a talk with our uh, advisory a couple weeks ago where we were kind of breaking down like what why are we playing these sports these different sports what's this like all about and like some of it is you you learn those kind of different movements you learn how to like compete and cooperate together how to play team defense how to play team offense and and by by, by similarities across sports it helps you get better with like that spatial awareness and cooperative kind of feel of being on a team, mm-hmm. right, which is ha, has a lot of value to it, I think, um, which makes it kind of tricky when uh, when we, uh, I think, I know I'm guilty of it. I, I would think most of us as competitive athletes are. Sometimes we like lose, we, we can lose perspective and have to be, recalibrate. Like, why are we doing this? Like, why are we spending so much time 
on this sport, mm-hmm. right? If it's just a game. And so when you're reminded of like these great coaches or players who can galvanize and like bring a team together in a cooperative spirit, mm-hmm. it it's pretty cool. I mean, it's not, at some point we got to talk about you and me playing tennis against each other. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get to tennis. That's a, that's a completely mo- different from, game to me. To, that's what, to move from the team sport thing into the, man, one-on-one, talk about like intimate. The one-on-one playing against each other in tennis yeah. is a lot. I mean, it's taken me a couple of years to recover <laughs> from that from that match we played. And, and Lightning was like eating a sandwich while he was watching us. I think it was about to be like, we were like on the, court nine of nine mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. in the back corner was like late may it was the hottest day of the year too was, was it just... the hottest day of the year yeah well that's it makes me feel a little bit well better. lightning was eating a sandwich behind me giving me some pointers big, and he calls you big cat big cat he, well he's the first guy i met when i came to gilman okay and i was walking around i was a little early i think and i was just doing a walk around campus and i see some dude with his shirt off backwards hat like like pulling balls out of the weeds by the tennis courts and he goes hey what's your nickname right well that's leadership there right Mm -hmm. i mean he's pulling balls out of the weeds when nobody's looking Mm -hmm. right getting ready for practice and then he reaches out and extends a a welcome to you he's the best to the community he Mm -hmm. is the he's talk about championships there should be a um lightning should write a sacred sacred courts book you know, he already has one book. And what's that book called? Lightning Strikes. That's hence the nickname. Y- yes, but do you know how he got his nickname? I don't want to botch his story, but he was like playing tennis in the rain with a bunch of his friends. Uh oh. And he, you know, and then they started running around this open field, and it started, you know, the the sky broke open. There's lightning, thunder, and all of his friends left, and it was just him out on the field, and they were like lightning lightning come inside and after that day he was just known as lightning <laughs> that's amazing that's incredible was that back when he was at i think he went to park did he go to park school he went to park he's a bruin yep and then wait and then he went to ucla he went to ucla did he go there because he wanted to continue to be a bruin oh i didn't know park were the bruins yeah i don't know but i do know that he would often stop into john wooden's office and oh, we have, would? A, have a conversation with him. And that's where some of his coaching philosophy comes from, is those conversations he, he had with him. That's amazing. Yeah, that's on the podcast with him. We cool. talked about that. Awesome. But yeah, um, tennis is a different game. Tennis is probably my favorite sport right now, at least. Yeah. Because of the mental, psychological side of it. I just don't think there's anything. Golf, maybe. I'm just not a huge golfer. Mm-hmm. And I like how tennis is between two people, one-on-one, intimate, as you said, you know, and the crowd. I mean, mm-hmm. I just don't think there's any sport that's more difficult than tennis. I think, like, when you talk about, like, bucket list experiences, I can't imagine. I know people love the Masters. That just happened. That was, like, that was awesome, right? It's beautiful, Augusta, mm-hmm. Georgia, Easter time of year, right? But going to Wimbledon... In my opinion, that's like on my top five places I would want to go to watch an event. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, for the reasons you said, right? Like getting down there, watching those 
athletes back and forth with the all of the culture and kind of history that's in the stands and the way the you know the all england club works which is really interesting with the tire and all that stuff and then the grass field and how, how you keep a grass court in such immaculate shape to play tennis is mm-hmm. pretty amazing you know where the bcc hill is back at roland park yep right yep and where the big hill is where they go sledding and yes. then next to it there's like an overgrown weed field right down across from Polly. Yes. And there's like fences up. Yep. That was like 30 years ago. Those were grass tennis courts. Wow. Of BCC. Hmm. And I think I heard that they're going to do something with that space to like move, make it some sort of nice park. Yeah. Like I think, like I don't park. think BCC owns that anymore. They don't. Yeah. But yeah, back in the day, those were grass courts at BCC. Hmm. Which is pretty cool. So did you grow up playing tennis? Did you did you ever get involved in tennis? Uh, not only in the summertime I would play. Yeah. You know, just kind of getting out there. Uh, but I, I didn't play like competitively. Um, Were you focused growing up on basketball, lacrosse, and would you play and you, football? You played football too. Yeah. So I yeah played three sports in high school and and again and I know we as coaches say this so much that like the variety of playing sports is where it's at in my opinion right you yeah. stay keep it fresh you move on from season to season um like anything in life i think as teachers like it's part of what we love that you get to reset every year with a new group of students a new curriculum you add something right it, it's it certainly doesn't get stale if you get to keep having those new relationships and experiences so yeah for me I, playing three sports is a way to do that and then playing more sports in the summer was fun too mm-hmm. playing some tennis yeah, and I think the idea that it teaches you to compete and you're playing alongside a whole new cast of characters every season and you learn from each other, you have different types of coaches. Yeah. And it's not I the the club like when I walk around campus and we've got the the crabs and team 91 and I know I've told you I've coached on both of those yeah, summer programs. I just am like ah uh, like yeah. Especially the young, young guys who are like five and six who have all their pads on and their jerseys like dragging on the floor and they're playing like a full field game. Mm-hmm. I just don't really like see it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a lot. It makes it feel like uh, it used to be swimmers, right? Like years ago, which swimmers would think of uh, Beth Botsford was a swimmer, went to Garrison and then. Arizona and won medals in like the mid to late 90s was a contemporary of mine she she won medals in the Olympics and then stopped swimming while she was at Arizona I think mm-hmm. just for, like, it got to a point where it's like well back to this question like why are we why are we doing this right why am I playing this sport and if you there's only I, I get there's like the Gladwell like 10,000 hours or Matt all that kind of like the mastery thing but it comes there must be like a certain amount of hours too where you like burn out I'd right. like to know what like the book is on like what's too many hours of one thing. Right. That it's not good, you know. Yeah. And then when you get to the next level of co- like playing college lacrosse for example was so much time, so many hours, so much investment in this one sport that you almost will burn out if you if you make it there. I mean, yeah. it's just I I think college programs are probably trying to think about how do we keep this sport fresh for our players you know in in four years i would hope so right 
especially with the guys now that are playing their fifth and sixth year with the COVID and like all these 24 year olds that are still playing lacrosse. It's, it's, it's kind of wild. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's tough on the body too. I mean, yeah. I don't, by the time I graduated from college, I don't know if I could have held up like for another year of lifting and running and practicing. It was just, you need time to rest and yeah. recover and to escape from it. So like you're as a college student at Harvard and I know that like Jake you did some of that uh you know the political cartoons you had other release other outlets it seems like sometimes having those opportunities to get away from it and pursue other things in a meaningful way mm-hmm. can also keep it fresh not just being like a multi-sport athlete I mean I'd love to start moving our conversation to like some of the other things because we're not just like all about sports that's true right mm-hmm. um for for me, for example, like I love listening to music, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I love seeing like Justin Baker, speaking of like up on the monitor, yeah, right yeah. for his music days. He's playing at like Ram's Head, I think. Yes, um, in Annapolis, like at the end of the month. Also played sports in college. Mm-hmm. Also like a really good teacher, and advisor. Right, Super intellectual, counselor. like he'll go deep with you about Cormac McCarthy's, yeah, you know, allegories and symbolism, right? Yeah, we have a lot of those people here, which is cool because they certainly keep things interesting. Yeah, I think that's almost one of the reasons that people are attracted to teaching and the the academic profession and being in in, in schools is that you have enough time during a day to to touch all of your different things that you like to do. Yeah. You know, like I see Cody Miles running all the time and he, yeah. he can do that. Yeah. Um, Dallas Jacobs playing the guitar. Um, you know, people just have a lot of different interests that they're, you know, Carl Connolly loves to bike yeah. in addition to doing masterpieces. And do it really well. I'm in all of like the, the skill level of some of these people. I'm more of cut from the aesthetic appreciation cloth that's okay. You know, so that's like, I love listening to music. I'm not going to, you're not going to hear me singing it. Right. <laughs> I like looking at the art exhibits. Um, certainly don't feel like I could do that, but you know what? We tell our Gilman guys, like when they come in the Carl's class as ninth graders, they maybe didn't think they have a knack for it, mm-hmm. but then by, by senior year, they're doing awesome stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's good that they get that students get that release they get that chance to to pursue stuff that maybe they don't think we think about luke woodworth i was gonna bring him up he's right? coming on on monday here is he mm-hmm. he's one of my favorite guys at gilman right now me too tell me why in your opinion i think he's uh he's a very humble guy you know a lot of people don't know that he's a world champion sailor i mean yeah. he was leaving my class he was going to miss a couple classes last year and I was like, Luke, what's going on? He's like, I'm going to Oman for the World Sailing Championships. Oman. Wow. I know. He's been all over. And he talk about uh, he's been a sailor, for, but his artwork is really good too. Mm-hmm. Right? Very impressive. He, he's, a well, he's a well-rounded guy. So I don't want to give away his book recommendation, but it okay. fits our conversation. Uh, it's called Range. Have you heard of this? Mm-mm. It's about um, generalists and specialists specialization uh-huh. generalizing and spe- exactly what we're talking about here yeah um and the first chapter is about roger federer versus tiger woods and how roger federer played different sports and tiger only did golf and, uh-huh. and the whole book is about that like why do some 
generalists succeed versus specializing at something. Yeah. So. Well, that was what Tim Holley, the athletic director, used to say. He used to talk about Gilman promotes well-rounded generalists, right? It was one of his instead of specialists and the value of that, right? I think we would all agree that Roger Federer is a good example of how to do things well. I don't know if you all, is there anybody in the world who doesn't like Roger Federer? Is there anybody that you've ever talked to who said like, I can't stand Roger Federer? Mm -mm. I mean, I'm sure they're out there. I haven't come across that person yet. So what does he do that makes it like that? Because people hate Tom Brady, but I feel like Tom Brady. uh, Have you interviewed Armand Lawson? No. Well, Armand Lawson is a huge Roger Federer fan. So he's probably the best person in our community to ask about what is it about Roger Federer. Um, I just think he's, he would be the person at Wimbledon that I would want to be watching. For example, he might be done. I think he's done. I think he's done. But he would have been like his g- game is so well-rounded. He does everything well, mm-hmm. right? From the baseline to, to his like uh, comportment, right? The way he handles things, the way he handles an interview. Right. He's like, he's gracious, right? He do- he's not a hothead. He doesn't boast. He's the be- the closest thing that he's ever done, at least optically, to be like arrogant in my opinion is that his sometimes his shoes have a gold rf on the white shoes right but i think we'll give him that right he deserves that he deserves that he's earned the rf and other people on the tour like him i mean he doesn't doesn't seem like he has people talking poorly about him behind the scenes it doesn't seem like it right Mm -mm. Um, which is which is funny when you when you see documentaries of other tennis players who have you know, tennis can be, speaking of like a volatile sport, a sport that can be emotional, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. A, lot, a lot of guys, uh, Nadal sometimes doesn't get enough credit for his approach to I think like somebody told me a statistic, Rafael Nadal has never once thrown his racket. Hmm. Which is... That's shocking. For how much he's played. Right. I mean, I can imagine why he's never thrown it at the French Open, because I don't think he's ever like lost at the French Open. Right. But in other tournaments, and when you get upset and when you're having a bad day and you're expected to win and you don't, yeah. you'd think that you'd show a little bit more. He's very stoic. Yeah. And I guess, I guess, I guess you have to be. To, um, it's, it's interesting. We've got like performances coming up. It's that time of year at school, right? We got... Uh, Musicals. We got mm-hmm. shows. We got senior speech. You know who's here today? I saw Roman Hines with his brother Tristan. I saw him. Yep. Yep. Ro- uh, I taught him. Did you, my first year of teaching Roman? Roman. Yeah. He's a he's a well-rounded generalist. That guy Roman Hines. He is. At Swarthmore. He grew a couple inches at Swarthmore too. He did. He did. Yeah. Um, I think he said he's going to be a computer science major. Mm-hmm. When I saw him, and he's he's here today to cheer for his brother when he gives a speech mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, neat those guys are great guys yeah yeah speaking of uh, people you like having at uh at school you know who we're getting back at school let me think about like renaissance people we're getting back mike molina who's been on this before yes i um mike molina is a well-rounded generalist he likes a lot of different things too yeah you know he's into athletics but he's also writing poetry and writing books writing books 
and he's a reader. He's he loves music. Yeah. I mean, he is probably the quintessential version of what we're talking about. Yeah. So it's so exciting that he's coming back. Mm-hmm. I have his book on my bedside table, Jim Huckleberry, the one he wrote. Yep. Um, I haven't read it yet, mm-hmm. but that's because, as I said, like I'm, I love books, but I've like the summertime for me is when I've got three kids, mm-hmm. you know. So when you have three kids and they're young, so I saw Bryn Holmes yesterday. Mm-hmm. How many hours of sleep are you getting a night? I mean, I figure. Yeah, well, they're getting. My kids are older. Your so kids are older. Like they're they're sleeping now, which is good. So the sleep thing, not so much for for me now. It's like, how many hours have I logged, driving them to and from something on the weekend? Is it is like a more appropriate question? Because I'm out of the weeds of like the nighttime stuff mm-hmm. for the most part. But how about when they're young? Like when if when you have three like, kids, what's the nightly? Like oh, are they waking up in the middle of the night? Oh yeah, we're talking like under one kids under one oh geez and your kids are pretty close together right they're pretty close to yeah they're they're 12 11 and 8 so we there was a while there where they were close to like irish twins the first two where that was a little bit of uh people people will tell you um so what was it like when they were like little kids like you're asking me this question now and since you know not not a parent yet right maybe maybe will be one day but so I used to think before I had kids, I was like, I'd ask my mom, like, what was it like when they were really, when we were really young? She's like, I can't remember. So all I don't repressed. really remember. Or, or they're like, you, it's just a blur. You like, it's a, you're just trying to survive, yeah. right? He's <laughs> speaking in the nighttime. And then now, so you're asking me the question, and I'm like the same person. I was like, I don't, I don't, I have some recollection, but it's kind of, mm-hmm. it's kind of fuzzy. You made it through that period. Made it through, and it was wonderful, and I miss it now that they're, uh, now that my youngest is eight, I would say, like, little kids, little problems, right? So when you're driving your kids to these various places on the weekends and, you know, during the week sometimes, are you having conversations in the car? Do you listen to the podcast as you're driving home? Do you turn on some music? What's, like, the yeah, time filler here? Yeah, it's, um, dad's car is quieter than mom's car is what the kids have given me as feedback. I listen to, uh, usually listen to like 89.7 WTMD and it's like a kind of a more mellow feel in the car. Mm -hmm. And I have to remind myself, my son who's in fourth grade, who's pretty quiet in the back, we're both pretty quiet in the car rides, just kind of in our little world. I have to remind myself 10 minutes in or so to ask him a question. (laughs) You know, after I realize we've been quiet for, with my daughter Sienna in the car, who's eight, it's, uh, like to remind her to like breathe and she doesn't have to fill the airspace wow, she's a talker. with words the whole car ride. <laughs> but it's fun that, you know, kid, your kids are all, my kids are all very different and I love them for, for who they are, but uh, it's funny. That's great. Different, different car so, dynamics. So you don't really queue up uh, like a playlist. So you say you're a big music listener. Like what's your music listening practice? You talked about Justin Baker. I know he told me on one of these episodes he goes down in his basement at night. Yep. Uh, he has a record player. He'll put the record in, and he'll just sit there. He won't go on his phone. He'll just like bask in the music. And that's that's cool when you do that with the record because then you just have to not have to you get to just play it through mm-hmm. and listen to the whole album for all of what it is. Right, like the Power Plant Lives doing a. I think they're doing something with a Dark Side of the Moon concert. 
where it's just you go and you listen to the whole entire album through. And of course, that's like a popular one to do. You know, the whole like Wizard of Oz thing where you play it through. Maybe you don't know that. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. if, you, if you've never done it, like that's a popular thing to do. And so that, that's a cool way to listen to music is just to like put on a record and listen all the way through. I tend, uh, I love Amazon Music, hmm. my subscription to that, because you can just so quickly make playlists. So I make different kinds of playlists and put them together and then you can pull them up on in, in your car, you can pull them up wherever. And, and one of the things that I like about that WTMD station is that it plays a lot of like the local stuff and the independent music mm-hmm. that you don't hear on the larger stations because they can do it because it's listener supported, it's public, right? It's, uh, it, it's something where... Uh, they kind of raise money on their own, so they're not beholden to playing all the... You're not going to hear Taylor... There's nothing wrong with Taylor Swift, but you're not going to hear Taylor Swift on that. It's nothing pop. Or, nothing pop, yeah, really. Yeah. Um, and then the, it's called a Total Music Discovery, which is cool because my appreciation... My love for music is like I like folk music from the 60s to, you know, 90s hip-hop to uh sometimes like german techno heavy metal hmm. right like we like a weird mix of and and so wtmd plays anything you could go from you're listening to uh nine inch nails playing right and then the next song up is like Joni mitchell hmm. and then the next song is uh like a polka band mix it, it, it just plays like a it keeps you on your toes like I was telling Michael uh, in 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 the library, who I know loves music, right? Played for the Ramones. You did a great episode, yeah. Mike. And and so I said to him, April seventeenth, three or four days ago, Johnny Cash in the White House playing "What Is Truth," a mm. song that like I'd never heard before, and it comes on on April seventeenth. John and anytime Johnny Cash plays a song, whether it's his or a cover, it's like oh my gosh, this is amazing and that came on i'd never heard it before Hmm. and and i wouldn't have heard it unless i was listening to that radio station that's the best when you're learning songs as you're listening to music so my one of my biggest hot takes that i catch a lot of grief for uh but i think is very true and i'll stand by it is instead of spotify i don't really know apple apple music much but pandora which people, you know, I don't really know a lot of people who like listening to Pandora much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I go on Pandora and I play a song and their algorithm is so good that if you choose, you know, the Ramones on Pandora, it will give you songs and artists that are very similar. Yeah. But that's how I discover music is through Pandora's algorithm they have. Yeah. And that and that's how I think in one of the, for all the things that like Amazon or, you know, in terms of like, monopolies and taking over kind of stuff they it is a good thing that they do is some of those like lesser known artists if if the algorithm starts to understand what you like and you're listening to they they pop up Mm -hmm. and you learn about them Mm -hmm. right through that which you might not if you were just listening to the radio so bruce springsteen was in town a couple weeks ago i haven't aaron slutkin went to that i have to ask him how it was um in the new Civic Center, right? Or what are, what are they calling it? The Royal Farms Arena that's yes. been redone? Yeah. Um, are you he's a Bruce a polar, fan? He, he's a polarizing musician, that Bruce Springsteen, the boss. I mean, I, I'll tell you, like, meaning that, like, pe- the people love yeah. the boss, and then there are people who are kind of... 
I don't know, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I have to say, like, I'm, I'm in the middle. You're depending not a fan. on what. Well, it depends on what time period of Bruce we're talking about. Like, uh, I lived in Freehold, New Jersey, for a time, and that's where Bruce Springsteen was born and raised in Jersey. So, like, and that was, I was there from like '85 to '89. So we're talking like born in the USA, the boss kind of big stuff. Right, and everybody loved the boss in New Jersey because he's a local guy. So I, I heard a lot of, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think songs like The River, right, um, Atlantic City, mm-hmm. the version that like uh, the band does of Atlantic City mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is a popular cover of it. I, I like, I like some of his stuff, but you know what I like even more than him is uh, to think of that time period. That was when Howard Stern was getting really popular mm-hmm. on the radio in the 80s. And uh, I remember, talk about car rides with uh, with kids. This is funny, slightly inappropriate, that like we would go to school with, with my mom driving, and I have memories as a 9 or 10-year-old listening to Howard Stern on the radio <laughs> as we go to school. And if you know anything about Howard Stern, he can be a little, he can be off-color, but he does interviews as good as anybody mm-hmm. right and uh he did he did um an interview a long extended interview with bruce springsteen recently what i can't remember if it was netflix or hbo one of those interesting one of those channels well um uh artist who's very similar to bruce springsteen who's from jersey is the bleachers i don't know if you've heard of the bleachers but i don't think so even if you're not a huge bruce fan the these bleachers. guys are they're kind of yeah it's a group it, they're they're similar in style to uh to bruce springsteen at least the head guy is you know he wears the same kind of outfits as bruce and i think bruce was his idol growing up they're both from jersey plays at asbury park that kind of thing like concerts yeah and bruce is featured in one of the songs okay um but my dad you know he's not a huge concert i mean he likes concerts but he likes his own type of music and my mom is the biggest concert person you've ever met like she will She'll spend a lot of money to go to a concert and yeah. not think twice because she loves it. Like yeah, she yeah. goes to concerts all the time. She took my dad to a Bleachers concert and he won't stop talking about them. All right, I've got to put that into. I'll, I'll check it out. They're good, and especially if you see them live. I mean, they just have so much energy. You know, they. Uh, I've, I saw them in D.C. and I was like, wow, I get, I get what my mom and dad are saying now. They're oh, very, very good. Performers. One of the better concerts I've been to. All right, Bleachers. Well, ho- hopefully we'll get. A lot of concerts come into Baltimore with that. Mm-hmm. You know, there was up at Pimlico where Preakness is. We're almost Preakness season coming up in a month or so, right? A little bit less than a month, I guess. Um, they used to do like the Virgin Festival there, which was a concert. And uh, it was a weekend concert that had one time the Virgin Festival had Red Hot Chili Peppers, The Who, Gnarls Barkley, um, the Flaming Lips. So they, they had this lineup, uh, the Recon Tours, which is like Jack White's band, all at Pimlico. Wow. And like after late May, early June. And it was incredible. Hmm. I hope they get like, live music. Is It's nice that it's back in concerts. Yeah. The, the only thing is that concert tickets are crazy expensive now, I think, because everyone is wanting to go to a concert. You know, like the Bruce tickets weren't even in my, in 
in question for me. They're, yeah. they're a couple thousand bucks to get decent seats. Jeez. Yeah. Big bad ticket master too. Right yeah. in there. Um, that, that's too bad when that happens. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what the, or it's good to see the Orioles playing well mm-hmm. and that you can still go to Camden Yards for like a reasonable price, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and even the even the Ravens games that they're they're expensive, but at least they haven't they haven't gone way over the top, and they kind of balance it out with the food prices aren't too bad there. Oh really? Yeah, it's kind of the flip at Camden Yards. They do they jack up the prices, but uh, ten dollar bleacher seats at Camden Yards. Yeah, I'm going Friday night to the to the game. Are you going to the Orioles game? Yeah, they play the um, Tigers maybe. Okay. Nice. You're gonna. It's gonna be warm. It's gonna be a nice night. Yeah, I'm Upper excited. 80s. I'm excited. Is is Max Costas? Do we have any update on Max Costas? How he's doing? I don't know. Is he is he playing with the O's? I, I mean, he was here. The, right? Yeah, they signed him. I gotta I gotta look that up. But Max came and he's talk about like great speakers and like awesome, well rounded. Max was I guess six or seven years ago, right? Graduated, went to Maryland, did awesome stuff there. He's a better person than athlete but you know that left field wall out there where mm-hmm. we hit to northern parkway mm-hmm. right they had to like raise he was the 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 primary uh the culprit of like jacking balls over left field into northern parkway hmm. right and uh maybe he was trying to hit like that speed camera that's right there have you noticed that on northern parkway you're going down the hill. Yeah, they've got a couple of them. They've got a couple. They're all right around here. There's one in, right on Roland Avenue where I used to live. That Did, is tricky. You're you seem like you're probably pretty by the book, like a drive wise kind of guy that would do well with like Allstate, like insurance incentives. You know about that? Yeah. You can if you drive, you don't brake too hard, right? You can kind of drive down the price of your car insurance because you're driving well. Yeah. Wise. Yeah. Right? I'm. Per- I'm decent. I'm Do you, good. You can be honest. Have you ever gotten one of those tickets? From when I first machines? moved down here, and I didn't really know that Roland Avenue was, you know, 25 miles per hour. You got one there. I think. I think we've all gotten that one. Yeah, but right? then I discovered it. My and it, it, since my car is registered to my parents' house in Philly, my car is from Pennsylvania. Does it go to them? Yeah. So my mom was sending me tickets. Like, <laughs> yeah, what are you doing? What do you What do you got? Like three tickets in the first month of. Your new job at Gilman. Right. You're a reckless driver in a uh, residential neighborhood, <laughs> right? You got to be careful. You can't go 27 there. No. What are you trying to... Yeah, those are, I guess, must make a lot of money for the city. How about the one on um, on the highway here? Oh, yeah, the 83 one? Yeah. That. Sometimes I like to just drive slow on there and watch people just get bam, bam, bam. You can see it Because people up. go fast it, on that. It's a dangerous road the jones fall right? right that was not a well-conceived uh project on multiple levels right if you look into like the history of that and the roads leading into baltimore it's, it's kind of a wild s- sociology like the the story behind it all mm-hmm. um yeah jones fall can be it is tricky with the cameras but i guess hey anytime we're slowing each other down that's ultimately a good thing. I have a ticket right now, actually, that I need to pay. I got on Northern Parkway. Hmm. I think I was going 42 and a 30. And know what my kid said? She goes, I, I remember when you were doing, when you were, I was in the car when that happened. Yeah. You were driving fast. <laughs> and, I, and I said, Kira, 
Uh, 42 and a 30, I'm not sure that was the moment you felt me driving fast, but I'll, I'll, we'll go with it. <laughs> a little backseat driving. Yeah. It's good. And and she doesn't even sit in the backseat anymore. Now that she has a phone and she's in sixth grade and 12, she's big shot, always sits in the front. Mm. So she's even not even a back, she's a front seat. So are you coaching her, her lacrosse at all? I am. That's interesting. What's that like? Because my dad is coaching my sister Jenny is in seventh grade now. And my dad and Coach McAvoy, who is the longtime coach at Malvern, are the oh. two coaches of my sister's team. That's and, I, a, and I bet that that's a disciplined, tough team. I bet. That's a powerful coaching staff. Right. Um, I, yeah, I coach. I'm an assistant coach on on her team and it's it's fun i i find the older i get as a coach the more i love being an assistant coach you Mm -hmm. know it's just you can kind of focus on the kids consult take a backseat you don't have to do some of that head coach stuff that's really hard being a head coach is tough some Mm -hmm. of the decisions you have to make but i try to just support the players and, and and try to be as unbiased as possible with uh with my daughter but i i think that like for any parent who's teaching or coaching their kid that can it's tough for both the the adult and the kid on some levels because there's that uh when do you turn it off mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. like when practice is over and you're driving home yeah it's tough not to make a comment you know, about what happened yeah should we move on or right so but I, this may be the last year that i coach her. i think it, i keep asking do you like do you like it that i'm coaching or is it and she hasn't yet said she doesn't like it I think if she says she doesn't like it, that'll probably be when I know to, that I don't like it either. Now, did you know when you were an athlete um, growing up and in college, did you know that you wanted to get into coaching? Were you kind of a coach-on-the-field type of player? Um, I think I, I really enjoyed my coaches, in particular in high school, so I had a lot of built-in kind of respect and admiration for them, for the way that they did things. And so... Um, and, and some of them were also my teachers. One of them was also a really good English teacher. So I, uh, I was drawn to that in college when I was looking, thinking about, okay, what am I going to do now that I'm about to graduate? And, and being in a teaching and coaching environment made a lot of sense to me because of those positive relationships that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also wanted to be around young people who I thought, uh, would respond to good coaching and, and teaching, mm-hmm. um, which is, I don't know about you, but like when you come across like a really coachable player who you get to just like watch make others better mm-hmm. and be like really, it's really fun to watch mm-hmm. and, and take in and, and observe. And it's, I don't, they, they, to find the ones that are truly special, they're, they're not that many of them. Right, I mean, the coachable players, the in, like the the ones that are going to make everybody around them better all the time, and not be in their own at our age, right? They're high school kids, right? Right. So high school. I mean, we've had so so many of them over the course of the last twenty years at Gilman. There've been many examples, right? Mm-hmm. But they're not they're not widespread, right? Mm-hmm. And the ones that are, you can probably, without going into names, right? Like the, you, you know who they are. Like this, this is a, uh, a football, this is like, I know a lot of these guys. This looks like 98, maybe. That's Gulines in there. 98. Boyle's in there. 
this football team. So yeah, Boyle's in here. He would be an example of that. I think Damien's in there. Chisholm Opara, Damien. Like there, there's a lot of guys in this group. Uh, I see Alex Liskey, who is a really good player. The, those, that team of like 40 guys probably has like a half dozen of them that would fit into that extremely coachable, good teammate model. Mm-hmm. So not surprising that when, you know, Biff Poggi started with that group, that they had a really good coaching staff, but they also had a really good core of, of players that are going to make that experience like really rewarding for their team, mm-hmm. make it a little bit, well, don't want to say easier for the coaches, but uh, I, th- I think um, part of being a tough player or disciplined player and team is like when a coach says something to you, mm-hmm. you don't say anything back, like not even you just say yes coach and you just listen and try to say okay this is what i need to do you know no comment back which i'm finding you know you get some comments here and there and it's just like i don't know i don't need to know like what was going through your mind here right i just want you to just not do it again (laughs) it's 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 a really tough skill sometimes right not only for players that you mentioned but sometimes i think for us as adults in society too like when people start talking to us and have an opinion or giving us advice about how we could be better right right it's sometimes hard not to just want to respond but like yeah but this is why i'm Mm -hmm. trying to like explain ourselves yeah um one of the things in the book that i had like earmarked is there's phil jackson talks about um giving full attention and like listening without judgment and without response Mm-hmm. and just and taking it in um, and and good leaders right or good teammates good players are able to do what you're saying I think they can just listen take it in without trying to like immediately have a response because usually if a coach is telling you something it might be a very simple statement or it could be something that takes a little bit of time to like process mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and if you're and if you're responding to it verbally without processing it and given some time to think through it you're probably losing that opportunity to grow and I think that's one of the ways that playing sports translates into the world like having a background in sports you were talking earlier about why we're doing all this or why we are so serious about sports all the time I think one of the reasons is that it teaches you some of those things like having been in college and played lacrosse and watched film where I was getting critiqued pretty brutally all the time about what I was doing wrong and having just to sit there, it makes, you know, if someone comes to observe my class, for instance, and they're critiquing some things that I'm doing, that's not even, it doesn't even hold a candle to like <laughs> the coach ripping me yeah. on the screen in front of everyone. Yeah. It's right? a really good point. You make a really good point. You're, you're, you're conditioned to taking that kind of constructive criticism and learning from it. Um, and as teachers, sometimes I think we, I, I feel like I certainly need to do a better job of that. When we take stock in ourselves and what we, what we do well, what we, some of the things that we once did well, we don't do well now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and so one of the things that I've been thinking about for myself is to that point of like listening fully and not having an answer. Sometimes as a a teacher, a coach, or you're a leader in some capacity, you, there's a tendency to feel like I need to have the answer, right? If I don't have the answer, that means I don't know what I'm doing, mm-hmm. right? Um, when families come through and they're asking questions like, 
need to have the answers to what they want to know. But then as we take time to think about what we do well and we don't, for me, I've thought like I need to do a better job of sometimes just being okay not having the answer. Yeah, or I mean, just saying I don't know in this moment. You know, yeah. I'll circle back with you. Let me just go think about that a little bit. I think that's something that doesn't happen much, and I've really learned that as a teacher here is that I get questions all the time. Even having you know read as much as I think I've read, and like been immersed in English and American literature for as long as I've been doing yeah. this, someone will ask me a question. I'll be like, I don't know. Let me let me check it. That, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Let me look it up. It's a way to do it, right? For sure, because then the, there's nothing that they would potentially see through, right? If you, if we don't know the answer, we try to answer it. They, they are, these kids are so smart, right? They would know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They would know. There's the Google machine now helps with answers. So easy. But is it really, like, is it, uh, is the depth of that answer where, where it needs to be, though? Like, when we... Did you hear about the Wikipedia group? I heard there's a club you, meeting today. There's a there's a club meeting for a. This is I think really neat, right? It was maybe like Eric Cal, mm-hmm. who sent the email. He's starting a a Wikipedia club that's going to work on like how to effectively like be part of the editing process in Wikipedia. Really? Yeah. I thought that I didn't think that that was as easy as people say it is. Like, like people say you could just edit Wikipedia. I, I I think they have people who do that. I could be wrong. They do, and they have people who come in swiftly and will change it if there's a egregious false. And there is, I know that happens from time to time. It it it's cool that they're uh, keeping up with the. As much as our guys like to use Wikipedia, even though we tell them to use authoritative sources, right? Mm-hmm. I'm glad that we have a club. I am too. Right? Well, it's one of my favorite websites, and sometimes I'll tell my students, like, look. I know that you're not supposed to cite Wikipedia, and, mm-hmm. and, but to get background information on something, I don't think that there's a better source. Right, especially when it connects you to all these other sites too, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I bet you that's some of what the Wikipedia club will do is that they'll just sit around and yeah, go from web page to web page learning things. I love when new clubs pop up, right? I mean, you're, you're here at the at year three of this or, you know, with the Greyhound TV, whenever that Greyhound TV's almost got to be 10 years old now, 10, 12 years old. And then it's like a machine now. When it started, it was essentially like a club, right? That got kind of got going. And now look at what it's become. And it's cool to see Gilman kind of trailblaze with some of that stuff. I know there's all these other streaming. Uh, Loyola does a pretty good job with theirs. There's other schools that are doing a nice job, but Gilman was at the front of that in this area. Right, mm-hmm. and 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 has done an awesome job with it, and um, but it's cool how who knows where the where you've gone with this from starting with a, a path to follow namesake after the documentary, right? Mm-hmm. On to becoming you're gonna have I mean you're gonna work here in different roles, Jake, for like forty years plus <laughs> in many and wear many different hats, mm-hmm. and by when it's all you're going at a clip of sixty episodes a year. 60 a year sounds like a lot, but 50? maybe 40. 40 a year? 40 a year. So you're going to, I mean, 40 years here times 40, you're going to 1,600. Are there enough? 1,600 episodes. 
Yeah, we're moving. Well, hopefully some people are listening to them. I'd love to get some... Um, how, do you, how do you gain some of that momentum there? Well, I think Prime? social media helps a little bit. I think uh, having different people around the school and some people from outside of Gilman helps. I yeah. think having students who will share it. I've been getting some good numbers on the student episodes because I think they can blast it out there. Oh, yeah. Um, and they love hearing each other. Yeah, they love. They right. love yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, but yeah, it's fun. And um, we did get a newspaper Gilman News article about. Yeah, um, Alex Zhao wrote the uh, wrote the just you know short little plug for Path to Follow. A little bit about the episodes, and it was great. Very well written. So that's awesome. Well, you, you all do such a phenomenal job with it. And uh, and it, it's fun to hear from all these interesting people. I've I've started listening to your podcasts on car rides, long car rides, because you do a really nice job of uh, going like pretty deep into conversations with each of your uh, of your guests. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the balance. I I'm trying to find that balance of like good conversation yeah. that naturally gets deeper. You know. Instead yeah. of some episodes, I have questions, and it's more of a question response. Mm-hmm. Like this episode's been nice because it's back and forth and more conversational, but we're still able to get to the the topics we want to get to. You yeah. Know? So, is there anything like else before we kind of wrap? Is there anything that you like to do towards the end? I don't know where we are in like timing or stuff. Are well, we, getting... we we usually do the book rec, uh-huh. um, but maybe I've been doing recently. Um, a guest recommendation so okay. somebody on campus that you'd oh, like yeah. to hear from more or maybe you know a coach on right, campus coach that or... you want to hear their philosophies a little bit more anyone really a student yeah oh that's a good one um, so have would you want any kind of past coaches or alums recs like that I, I've got some thoughts about uh, some people who are are around like did you did you ever interview Victor Abiyamiri? No, I want to. He'd be you know, good. No, he's here as a de- he'd be a good one to tell his story. Um ha- getting back to uh a joint I wonder like a joint father son with like a Rob Hubeck and Peter Hubeck. Mhm. We need to do another one with Rob before he leaves before he Leaves Gilman or, or steps down from upper school head. Yeah, yeah. And his, you know about his podcast. Oh, yeah. I was on the first episode. Raw Justice, right? I mean, that's Alex Likas. Is it John from Timonium? Mm hmm. Right? Who's a legend on radio? Right. Alex Likas is a, you know, public servant and very good sense of humor. And Rob does a nice job of being funny, detailed, and like the middle guy. I've given him a couple of recs for raw justice too. I'm hopeful that they they make it onto the show, but I know it's in it's high demand. Oh yeah, they He's, do a nice job. They do well, and they um, they're good at blasting it out there too. I see it on Twitter. I see it on yeah. Instagram. Yeah. So you got to follow their recipe somehow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what they the, the couple that I've listened to, they really know the local scene. Yeah, like they know the neighborhoods, they know the haunts, the food wrecks. They can kind of throw in the Baltimore stuff mm-hmm. or Timonium. Did you know what John from Timonium? You know why people love Timonium? 
or a lot of people love Timonium? No. Because as one of my friends is like, Timonium loves America. And, and I think what that means, I think Alex Likas loves America. Mm-hmm. I think Rob Pubeck, John from Timonium, they all have in common that they love America. Mm-hmm. Meaning like they love their community, like where they live. Yep. They're proud of it, even if it's like silly. Oh, they have something like, to say about every restaurant, every street corner. Right. You know, they, they understand the layout. They, t- they have pride in it. Like is Timonium Fairgrounds, is that like a nice place to go? Not really. But we still love it that we get to go there, watch the horse races. We got York Road, which is not necessarily like an awesome road. There's still <laughs> unique stuff to Timonium, to Baltimore. Baltimore is a unique town. We know that in well, all its different neighborhoods. That's why they call it Charm City, because it's not like the most beautiful place ever, but it's charming. It's got these pockets of places that people really love. Yeah, it's a cool town. I, I think uh, one of the things that I wonder if when, when we get new teachers here and we're recruiting them to come here, are, are we doing a, and I think we do a good job of this, but do we do a good enough job of showcasing how awesome Baltimore is going to be mm. for them, for like work-life balance with food, with little neighborhoods, cost of living relative to all that, mm-hmm. you know, how far, like, how awesome the Chesapeake Bay is, how awesome the beaches are, how awesome Western Maryland is. Like we need a fan club for, we will talk to Mr. Ledger mm-hmm. and the, and the, and the Penn fellows group and make sure that we, maybe, maybe this is something we can get started. You need to take them to an O's game on a Friday night when it's 70 degrees out. Yeah. You know, yeah. Drive around downtown. My favorite restaurant, Italian disco downtown. Have you uh, been there? No, I've not been there. Good pizza disco music or oh, just old music good pizza huh they play like music videos on the screens and great pizza awesome so it's a good foodie town well all right coach make well, me kind of hungry yeah it's so almost time for lunch almost time for lunch thank you very much for Thanks coming for in having me yeah on. a lot Appreciate of fun it. thank you all right have a good one mm-hmm.